0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, Huge welcome to church from me. Uh, For those of you that might not know me, my name's Mig, and I'm youth pastor here at Creech Baptist. And uh, uh, I was just reflecting, actually, uh, as we've been going through the service this morning, that I've been doing my best to follow Jesus for the last 39 years last week, which I know is incredible to believe when you look at my youthful visage here. On the screen this morning, but but it is true, and it's been a fantastic journey and a great opportunity um, for me this morning to to just tell you a little bit about my experience and and my life in following Jesus, but to use this passage to to kind of talk to us and encourage us that actually the 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 good news that we've got to share here is about God's welcome and God's hospitality, his invitation into the things of his kingdom. And it's also a message of hope for transformation and change as well. Not just that circumstances would change, but that actually we get changed as people too. And that would be my testimony, I think, over the last 39 years of trying to follow Jesus. It's been a journey of personal change and transformation and watching what God can do with a life when it's surrendered and given to Him. So, um, let me just start this morning by, by asking what kind of person you are. Um, because, uh, depending on how we see ourselves, some of us believe that we need changing more than others do. But, so this morning, are you a planner or an organizer? Are you a kind of lists type person, you know, um, or are you one of those wonderful, spontaneous, creative and reaction resorts? Of course, if we're honest, most of us are, are a bit of a mix of the two. But generally, there's some truth in the fact that we tend to fall naturally into one camp or the other. And uh, with the whole Christmas season that we've just been through, how did your Christmas planning go this year? Did COVID disrupt your normal strategies? Uh, was it completely uh, out of the ordinary? Were you completely out of sorts? Or are you content to roll with the last minute changes of plan? And what about your new year this year? Was it different for you? Are the, you the kind of person who likes to have a plan and a strategy for changes that you want to see in the next 12 months? Or are you more inclined to want things to change, but somehow you're just hoping that it'll all just come together at the right time? Maybe you're the kind of someone who makes a resolution each year to change, but somehow it never seems to quite last because you don't have any clear idea of how you might bring that change about or what you might do differently to achieve your goal. But, you know, in my experience, both generalised groups, and let's call them um, the organisers and the reactors, shall we? They tend to find each other a bit frustrating, if they're honest. Because to a reactor, the idea of planning everything out and making lists and timetabling things in, it all feels just far too restrictive and it takes all the fun out of everything. But to an organiser, reactors look like a shambles and how can anything ever get done without a diary and a timetable and a list? Oh, some of us do love a list, don't we? My wife's one for a list. <laughs> But the truth is there's plenty of room for both types of person in life and in church. And I go as far as to say that there's plenty of room for both character traits to live in harmony or at least under tension, even within the same individual. And I think this is especially true within a Christian individual. You see, in my experience, most of us really want a simple life. We want to understand ourselves in simple terms and we want the ease of living with our naturally more dominant traits, whichever those might be. We find it much easier as well if we're surrounded by people that also share our dominant traits and, uh, and characteristics. But we can learn to live with a mix of both planner and reactor in our makeup and we might possibly be a most effective when we do. You see, I think these traits come out in us when it comes to how we approach sharing our faith and our Christian experience with other people. For some of us, We're really happy. It's just winging it. We don't know what we're going to say if and when the opportunity arises, but we'll just play it by ear if and when it does. But then there's others that need to plan and prepare. They want a strategy for what they're going to say, where and whom with whom they're going to say it and share it. And they want to know what they will say to all the questions that they might get asked so that they can appear confident and convinced of their own convictions just like we were hearing before uh, from Reese and from Robbie about about what kind of questions will they ask, what, what are the right questions, what are the dumb questions. But, you know, I think there's a danger in exclusively adopting one preferred style over another in these circumstances. First, it's easy to miss an opportunity that you've never prepared for in whatever <laughs> sphere of life that might be. If you've never taken the time to reflect deeply on your own convictions, if you've never taken the time to ponder any theological questions, if you've never stopped to listen to the bigger questions of life that people in general tend to ask, it's unlikely that you'll easily engage in a meaningful conversation with someone who wants to chat about such things. But also, while developing faith might be a process, it's not a simple series of steps that you can walk somebody down um until you reach the end, the light goes on and they realize that you were right all along. No clever four steps approach or whatever technique that you might choose to use will ensure that someone encounters God by intellectual assertion. It doesn't work that way. And of course, the purpose of sharing the hope that we've got in the first place is not about getting people to intellectually assert to the truth of the message it's not about getting people to behave themselves and start coming to church it's not even about saving their souls and getting them into heaven and in case you hadn't realized people of God we can't do that only God can do that but it is about letting them know who we found and introducing them to Jesus so that they might encounter his love and receive his presence and share in the blessings of God that we've come to know. And that's one of the reasons we love doing this Alpha course. And it's why it's helped so many people over the years explore and find faith, because it provides a structure and a framework for people to ask all of those big questions of life and to look for answers. But it also gives the chance for spontaneous challenge and inquiry and genuine questioning so if you're listening this morning and you've got questions that you've always wanted the opportunity to ask and especially if you think it's not a question that you could ask or you should ask Alpha provides the perfect opportunity to come and bring those questions to someone there'll be people there genuinely looking for a chance to help you find an answer and have a conversation with you and if you're a Christian already like Robbie was saying Uh, But you've never thought much about some of the big questions of faith uh, and the foundational truth that the church holds to. Why don't you come along too? Alpha provides a great place to learn together wherever we're at on our journey. But let me move on a little bit quickly and and think about the next point I want to consider from those verses that, that Peter wrote. And that's about giving a reason. Let me ask you this morning, why are you a Christian? Or if you're not, why not? What motivates you? And by the way, it's quite common to have a deep conviction about something that you can't demonstrate any solid evidence for. Don't worry too much. Lots of people do it about all kinds of things, from life after death or reincarnation to political convictions and their moral behaviours. Actually, my wife's grandmother was a great example of somebody like this. She was, uh, she believed, a, a, with utter and complete conviction, I don't know whether you've ever found somebody like this, that she was as good as anybody else. Uh, she was completely sure that her own morality was enough to justify her before all people. She was an interesting character who, unlike lots of her generation, had grown up with some church experience and some religious conviction of one sort or another. She appeared completely unafraid of dying or of judgment because in her heart of hearts, she knew that she was good enough and her own self-righteousness was sufficient to get her to the next plane of existence, whatever that might look like when she got there. In fact, so completely convinced was she that no one had any right to correct her whatsoever that she'd even challenge God Himself. And one of her favourite quotes was, If God can't see I'm as good as the next person, then God help him. That's what I say. <laughs> and throughout the world, you know, there are billions of people who hold convictions that they can't clearly justify. So if As a Christian, you know that you're utterly convinced of the truth of Scripture and the saving work of Jesus Christ and the presence of His spirit within you. But you feel inadequate at quite explaining why You're, you're not alone. And if you stumbled across us online this morning, or you're someone who's just looking at whether there might be some truth in this whole Christianity thing, let me encourage you to come with an open mind. And ask every difficult question you may have for us, but be prepared to accept the fact that some of the convictions that you have and that you hold to be true might need challenging too. But let me just chat for a minute to those of us that have made some kind of profession of faith, who call themselves a Christian, you know I mean? Quite a lot of people who say they're Christians and yet, yet they're frightened by apologetics. Um, the whole capacity to argue for the faith, if you will. Do you feel inadequate about explaining the Bible? Do you worry that someone might ask you a question that you don't know the answer to? I love the fact that Robbie said that some of the Christians... Um, had to go away and look at the answer to the questions that they were being asked. That's brilliant. That's exactly what it should be. None of us can hold the whole of Scripture and the whole of the Gospel in our heads all of the time. Do you find it difficult to explain those things? There are things that you can do about that, you know. Study yourself. To show yourself approved by God, someone who correctly handles the word of truth the Bible teaches us in 2 Timothy 2.15. So you can study the scriptures, there's all kinds of resources out there that you can help, uh, will help to build your biblical knowledge and your theological insight. But the truth is that academic excellence in this sphere um, and biblical knowledge are not essential prerequisites for sharing your faith, that's good news. For all of us that have never done a theology degree. But being able to explain the biblical narrative from start to finish and answer every, Christ, uh, every tricky Christian question that you ever ask won't necessarily convince somebody of the truth anyway. And honestly, The more you learn about the Bible and the more you study theology, the more you realise that some of the questions that people want answers to will not get answered this side of heaven anyway. So my encouragement for those of you that want to share your faith but aren't sure that you've got all the answers at the moment would be, don't worry about what you don't know. Share what you do know. Have you had experiences of God? Is there a sense of his presence in your life? Have you prayed to him and known him answer? Are there things that you struggle with constantly but you sense him helping you with? Have you known his presence alongside you, his comfort, his companionship, his support? Share that stuff. There's nothing more powerful, you know, than hearing someone's personal testimony of God at work in their lives. Because it's true. It's true testimony. It declares the presence of the invisible at work in the physical and to the presence of heaven at work on earth. You see, our story's a powerful thing. And I don't just mean by that a fictional story that takes you off in into some some imagined land. But I mean the telling of experience and the recounting of truth and the knowledge of a history and when we share our story and help others realize that there are many similarities in the shared story that we're all part of and that connects our lives in what it means to be part of a common humanity together you see we all come to each other with a story we've all had experience and upbringings and relationships and educational opportunities that have shaped us and made us into the people that we are today. And all of this stuff of life has transformed our beliefs and convictions and expectations and our hopes and aspirations. And some of this is what will make us different. But some of it is also what makes us similar. And even in the hearing of someone else's story, whose life experiences may be very different to our own, we come to understand how our lives might have been similar if we'd had these shared experiences. So when I share my story and you share your story, we find often, more often than not that we have some kind of connection and we can identify with one another. And we find that there's much to talk about and we come to understand each other. But, you know, there's another story to be told, and it's a story that's underpinned both my story and your story, and it's the most amazing story of all. And, of course, that's God's story. And God's story is a love story, a story of his love for me and his love for you. But it's more than that, you see, it's also a creation story, and it's, History and it's a war story and it's an action adventure and it's a story of betrayal and of unrequited love and of faithfulness and commitment and rescue and redemption and salvation and hope and all these other exciting things. It's all part of God's story and it's the big story and I start to see that actually that's the main plot it's the heart of things and where my story's been impacted by God's story what I'd say is this that I start to see that my story was in fact just a subplot and it's actually part of his bigger story all along and then as I've allowed my life to get brought into his bigger story and I understand how My story and his story are intertwined with each other's. Then when I invite others into the whole bigger story too, we realise that actually there never were three separate stories. They were all just part of the same. We're all part of one big story. You're a part. I'm a part. And it's a story in which God, his very essence is love, made you to be loved and to love in return and who's pursued this love across all of history and eternity and has sought you out and wooed you and sacrificed and rescued you, and who's now extending an invitation and an invite, an offering to welcome you to come into his presence and enjoy his hospitality, and who wants to make a home and a life with you. So let me just move on a little bit again in Peter's passage and just talk about the hope that we've got inside of us. The hope that we have as part of this bigger story, which is why we come to share something in the first place. Let's just think about the hope that we have as a minute. Now, I can remember as a teenager looking up at the stars at night and thinking, surely there's got to be more to life than just this earthbound bit I'm stuck in now. There must be more to life than this. And then at the age of 20, when I was finally in a place to call out to God for his presence and his rescue, I discovered, yes, yes, there is. There is more to life than this physical existence. And I discovered that all along there's been a bigger narrative that I was caught to be part of. And that realisation, that revelation, that changed everything for me when God broke into my world. And I discovered I spent the whole of my life up to that point missing out on a reality and an existence that had always been there. So it was a story that ran parallel to mine that, that I hadn't even been aware of before. And it's a story and it's a hope that's way bigger than just an invitation to come and belong to a church and, or to come and adopt a lifestyle, great as that lifestyle may be, It's a hope that connects us to a whole different type of living together. You see, it's an invitation to come and sharing what Jesus talked about as abundant life. Life in all of its fullness. It's not a way of being that centers itself on shared convictions or patterns of behavior, but it's a life that's centered on a presence and a person of Jesus. A life that's living in a whole different kingdom under the protection and the reign of a different king. And even though we still live in the same physical world as everyone else, we now experience an entirely different spiritual dynamic at work in us. C.S. Lewis, who we heard about before, that famous writer and theologian who who, uh, wrote the Chronicles and Narnia, amongst many others, wrote about the difference he saw in his contemporaries who still attended church as a matter of practice and societal expectation in the late 40s and whose experience in worship of God was limited to Sunday services and he said that it's no wonder that people get bored of a God that only expects 10% uh, 10 of their life. Jesus' faith and salvation is meant to impact every single part of our existence both now and on into the future. And an acceptance and an invitation of Jesus brings with it an ongoing hope of transformation and change of life and experience that gets richer and deeper the longer we dwell with him and which will last even beyond this lifetime and on into eternity. God has made a way for us to have a true hope, both now and forever, for all time, Which brings me just to my final point in this, really, and to Peter's instruction in these verses about sharing what we believe and what we understand with gentleness and respect. If God's making an invitation, how are we to make that invitation on his behalf? You know, I'm sure we've all had experience as a well-meaning evangelist who preached in such a way that it feels anything but gentle and respectful. I remember an encounter I had with one such guy in my late teens. He was preaching hellfire and damnation in my local shopping centre when I was uh, out uh, doing some shopping one Saturday afternoon. And I got into a conversation with him that lasted quite a long while and from which I always felt he walked away with a smug sense of satisfaction that he confirmed beyond doubt that I would burn forever in eternal torment. And I knew that the reality of our meeting was actually the fact he narrowly escaped being in eternal or at least temporary torment in a hospital A&E department for a considerable amount of the following evening. (laughs) You know, there was a time when Christians thought you could argue somebody into the kingdom of God I suspect that there are those of us that still do believe that if he can just create a watertight argument for his existence then people will be forced to concede Uh, and that the only thing to do is to turn and to follow him. As if the force of our logic could cut through lies and they believe with the right words we could pull down all objections and see everybody yield to the truth. But the problem with taking that stance is that you turn everyone into an opponent an opponent to be defeated and every discussion and debate must be won and if we're not careful we lose sight of the fact that we're trying to encourage lost individuals to turn to the compassion of Jesus and understand that he's inviting them to come and join him in a life of fullness and benefit you see Jesus never adopted that approach of taking on his adversaries in in that kind of way he spoke the truth yes but he offered an invitation to something better always he hung out with sinners and outcasts and losers and he made friends of them Jesus' harshest words were always reserved for the religious elite, those people that already thought they got it sorted, who should have known better than to look down on those whose lifestyle they felt didn't match up to their expectation. C.S. Lewis again, he said this, he said, The task of the modern educator is not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. Not to cut down jungles, but to irrigate deserts. The role of a disciple in sharing their faith is not to set fire to someone else's worldview, but to give a drink to the thirsty soul. You know, Jesus himself declared that he hadn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost, he said. He didn't come to warn you about death. He declared, I've come that you might have life. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, he said in John 7.37. And that's still the invitation today. If there's a thirst for spiritual things in you, come and find the source of living water. So again, if that's you, why don't you come? Give the Alpha Course a try. At least come back and check out the Taster Session, and I can assure you that wherever you're at, you'll be treated with the gentleness and respect that you deserve as somebody who is deeply loved by God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, says John 3.16. And that's you, and that's me, and that's all of humanity. But it's also us individually. God loved you so much that he was prepared to do whatever it took to rescue you and extend an invitation to you to welcome you into his kingdom that whoever believes in him might not die, but might have eternal life. And that's a life that starts now and never ends. It's a journey full of adventure and growth and it's a hope and a future in the hospitable welcome of a loving God. Taste and see. That the Lord is good, said the psalmist. If you haven't already, why not take him up on the offer? Come and join us on Alpha. Come and ask any question you like. Come and seek out the truth for yourself. Our prayer and our hope is that you encounter Jesus in new and life-changing ways. Let's pray together, shall we? Jesus, we want to thank you that you didn't come to condemn, but to bring life. Lord, you didn't call us to escape from death, although that's a byproduct. but Lord, you called us forwards into eternal life. Lord, I want to thank you for your call on my life. And for the years I've been following you in which I can testify to your goodness, your faithfulness, your failure, your love, your kindness despite my bustedness, my brokenness, my inability Lord to always put you first. Thank you Lord that you didn't expect us to be worth it and, uh, Perfect before you called us, but Lord, you came to seek and to save that w- that was lost, knowing that we could never change ourselves, that we could never live up to, um, the, the hope that we have for ourselves in our own strength. But Lord, you came to give us hope that in you, by your death, your resurrection, your lordship from heaven, Lord, you could hold us and sustain us and make us fit. For a life with you. Lord, we love you a little. We want to love you more, as we often say in our communion service. Lord, help us to encounter you in new and fresh ways. Those that have known you for a lifetime, Lord God, there is still more to know. Those that are just at the beginning of our journey, Lord, may we sense your welcome and your invitation into the eternal life that you have for us. In Jesus' name, Amen.